So today I want to talk about the beauty and joy of asking and receiving. How many like to ask and receive? Anybody? Well, about 50% of you, the rest of you are asleep. I want to wake up to this one because this really works. I've been testing this one out for a long time. turns out that uh, God's glad to answer prayer. And uh, as I'm going to explain, though, the interesting thing about God, he's sneaky. He takes us on these prayer journeys. Once you learn how to ask, once you learn to ask, once you learn to believe in your asking, he begins to take you on these journeys with him, right? So you realize how powerful it is to ask in Jesus' name, and then the Lord takes you on these journeys, personal journeys, journeys for someone else, and um, you become partners, prayer partners. So we prefer magic, hocus-pocus, boom, there it is. And every once in a while it happens like that, right? But usually what happens is we take a journey. And so we keep asking, and in the process we learn how to pray a little more and more and more. And as you learn how to interact with God and learn about the basic premise of asking and receiving, you really begin to understand that it's an actual beautiful thing. A beautiful thing how God works with us. And I would say how God partners with us. It's just such a wonderful thing. More than I ever believed. Prayer is not only efficient or effective, but it is beautiful. And so uh, I want to just uh, talk about that a little bit, uh, the beauty and joy of asking and receiving. One of the greatest revelations found in the teachings of Jesus is that God wants us to ask and receive blessings from Him. Uh, it's amazing, and it's everywhere in the Scriptures, but somehow or another uh, it seems to elude us sometimes, especially if we had something very special that we're asking, it seemed that God delayed or didn't even answer at all, or maybe answer in the way we expected. So I want to just read some words of Jesus here, starting with John 16. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. And that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So Jesus came to prepare the way for you to be able to ask directly to the Father in his name, for things, for things you need, for things for other people and, and th for the nation and whatever. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. In other words, you hadn't discovered that actually you have power in yourself. You've been watching me do a lot of stuff, but now's the time when it's going to shift and you're going to begin to ask for things in my name. Of course, foreseeing the time that he would be gone, that he would leave and resurrect uh, from the dead, right? Then he says this, ask and you'll receive and your joy will be complete. I find that a lot of believers do not have a completed life in the Lord. Um, they just struggle with this area. The first time something doesn't happen in their timing or the right way or the way they expect it, they just give up, right? Now, what a terrible thing to do. As a matter of fact, the Bible even talks about that, so we'll talk about some of that as well. I'll just keep on reading a couple more verses. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I'll no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. And that day, which is coming soon, it's going to be the time when he was crucified and rose from the dead in the age of the Spirit, the time of the Spirit inhabiting people as a result of their conversion to Jesus was now upon the world. And that day, that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. And I'll tell you, I'll never forget this, and I've told you this before, but it strikes me so strongly here. I have a scene in my mind. I'm a six, uh, seven years old. I'm in a Sunday school class with my teacher, and she taught everybody in the class how to pray. 
And then she said something that sparked my little attention. She said, you know, whatever you ask for, it'll be done. And I thought, my seven-year-old mind exploded. I'm thinking, man, Christmas, I'm thinking everything, you know. <laughs> and uh, it was tenacious. It was like an impartation. It was like it hit me over the head, just my, you know. And, and so I began to try it out. And I began to see the most amazing things happen. It's a seven-year-old. I watched God do amazing things. And I prayed all the way through. I haven't stopped yet. And along the way, in terms of pursuing very specific things, you know, very specific things, I learned and have learned and am learning how God works with us. And that's a, more, that's a very important thing. He works with us. He, he likes to be a part of it. It's sort of like, you know, if, if uh, I remember when I uh, got my first car, and how delighted my parents were in the whole process. They were in on it, right? They weren't just attached, here's some money, go buy it. You know, they were in it. We all did it together. It was exciting for them. Think about that with your Heavenly Father. Could it be exciting for Him? Could it be a process? Could it be in a... Because uh, I remember when the whole process, you know, of course I prayed that car in like crazy, right? Because by the time I was older, I had realized uh, I could do a lot of stuff. And, uh, and it was all, not always, but I, I saw enough answers that uh, I never forgot what she prayed, never forgot from that day forward because I began to pray. Oh, my. I just think about Sunday school all the time. What, what things your kids are learning eternally, you know, what they're picking up, especially in a place like ours where we believe in the supernatural things, you know. And so, uh, you know, and, and I remember at the time when the car was bought and everything, my, my family... They were all in it, on it. They were all joyful. It was a joyful thing. It was a process. We all went and looked at stuff, you know, and this and that. And it, was, it turned out to be a beautiful red Volkswagen, man. Most beautiful car I'd ever seen up to that point in my whole life. You know, just beautiful, right? No more walking around. No more, you know, and I drove that thing like crazy. Get, got great gas mileage. And then I figured out I had to get a job to support my habit, right? That was the next step, which actually was sneaky. My parents, I think that was behind the whole thing, right? Because uh, they said, if we ain't paying for the gas. Oh, well, who's going to pay for it? You. Uh, how's that going to be? Uh, well, you probably better find a job, huh? Okay, fine. But I love that car so much, no problem. Give me a job. Find me a job. And that day, you'll ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. That's the only entrance requirement. Believe in that Jesus is who he says he is, right? Wow. What a revelation. Our communion with God produces good desires of the heart and really confidence to ask and receive. I think it always sort of breaks down a little bit as your first beginning because you don't understand that there's a process, there's a life here, there's a lifestyle, you know? And so I think, like, for example, when I first began to, you know, play sports, you know, I've watched those guys on TV, and I went out there, man, and I want to do exactly what, I want to hit home runs, blah, blah, blah. But I found out it wasn't quite that easy. I found out, well, I, you could hit home runs, you just have to practice a little bit, right? You have to learn how to do this. Well, similarly, it's the way in prayer. It's not magic. You learn how to interact with the living God and often, what you'll find is you start in the beginning, is you're asking for something, and you think you want it with all your heart, but actually God says, I see what you're asking, but I know what's in your heart, what you really would like, right? So I'm going to hold that back 
and I'll, until you figure out what you really want, and I'm going to give you that. And I've been through that a number of times. Sometimes I thank God uh, you know, vociferously and continually for not giving me what I asked for, because He actually gave me more, not less. And I just want to say that about God. He's the more, not less God, right? More, not less God. And I think when you learn that about Him, that's one of the biggest things you learn about with regard in prayer, with regard to God in prayer. Our communion with God produces good desires of the hearts uh, of the heart. You know the kinds of things that we should be asking for, kinds of things that we really want, right? But also confidence, because over time, what happens is you begin to get confident. So that things don't intimidate, intimidate you so much as they used to before, right? If you remain in me, he says, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Well, if you remain in Jesus, you become like him. You cannot hang out with Jesus and not be like him. It just happens, right? First of all, you find out how great it is to be like him because you don't understand him in the beginning. You think he's a little moody or maybe a little difficult or maybe you don't understand this stuff, you know, maybe demanding too much or whatever. But actually, when you figure out how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, and how much he wants to give you more, not less, that's when your life begins to really, really change. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. In other words, I'm asking for a partnership here. So I got all kinds of things ready and available, and I know you got ideas, so let's do a partnership and see what happens. But here's an amazing thing. This little thing I'm talking about is to my Father's glory, that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So it's to the Father's glory that this happens. He actually likes the whole prayer process, right? He likes the whole thing. He loves prayer. He loves this relationship. He loves this uh, procuring things, doing things. Uh, in Jesus' name, right? Psalm 37, verses 1 to 8. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Wow! That's a really good one. Now as you delight in the Lord, some of your desires change. But some of the desires you have just actually intensify because they were part of the original equipment that you were born with, that you were born to do, right? That you actually takes that desire and he makes it even more because you were sort of born to do that. I love prophesying over people sometimes because sometimes God reveals what they're for. Gifts they have, things that they were made for, things that he wants more out of, things that they delight in, right? Take delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. Sounding pretty good, isn't it? I really love these verses. Your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger, turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. So you don't fret about stuff you don't have. You just pray about stuff you don't have. And let the Lord speak to you and shape you. Often, 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 the things that we fret about the most or desire the most are great points of discussion for the Lord to really have His way with you. Really learn, teach you how to pray. Really give you your heart's desire. One thing I found leads to another many times. 
And when I'm in a fretting situation and I get past it, it's like gold to me because I learn how God works. And God has this wonderful habit of doing it again. You know, once I get a miracle, something that I get, I get a confidence in it, but often it's opening up a whole new way uh, for me, a whole new understanding of God and a new grace in receiving as I ask, right? I believe that there's graces that come with giving. Sometimes we go through major things in our life, major problems in our life, major issues in our life. And once that breakthrough comes in that area of life, it's like the door opens then for more, not less. Sometimes things are put in our life as obstacles. They're big problems that are there. And they're meant to be prayed through, got on the other side of, because you learn so much. And actually they're meant for not less, but more in your life. Could God actually be that good? Yep, he actually could. And he is. Consider this. So Jesus gives his last address to his disciples, John chapter 14 to 17. There's a number of chapters. It gives a long speech. The longest speech I think that Jesus gives in the whole Bible, right? It's just before he's about to depart, and the Apostle John is writing it all down. But I want you to consider this. As you read through those chapters, chapters 14 to 17, in Jesus' last address to his disciples before he was arrested and killed, he mentioned asking and giving, excuse me, asking and receiving five times. Five very clear times. Just simple as ask and you'll receive. You'll see as you go through those verses. Many of those we'll actually share here as we go on like in Roman numeral 2. Everything in your relationship with Jesus starts with trusting God and His promises in your life from the time even that you're saved, right? You trust Him to save you. You trust Him in this relationship. You trust Him to get you to heaven. You trust Him that that uh, there'll be a life after this life. Look at John chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. Wow. There's your antidote for trouble and for depression and sorrow. He says, interestingly, you don't let your heart be troubled. Well, I thought he was supposed to let my heart not be troubled. No, you. I'll help you, but you make a decision. You make a decision. Step in faith. You step out there. You learn to step in faith, even when your heart's troubled, even when things are negative and bad. Learn how to do that. You can actually not let your heart be troubled. You actually have authority over that. Sometimes... Trouble comes and we feel like we're out of control. You ever felt out of control? Out of control sorrow and out of control grief? That's a lie. It is under your control. It might take a little while to lasso and tie that one up, right? But it is under your control. Believe in God, believe also in me. So you, out of that space of faith, don't let your heart be troubled. Because I've got provision for you. Look at verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know me, my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. I thought, that, man, that's the big deal there. We've been wondering about the big guy. Just show us that. Just show us our Father. Just show that our Father in heaven. We're good. <laughs> Just a little further. <laughs> Jesus answered, interesting, something very interesting. He said, don't you know me, Philip? He's standing right in front of you. Well, we're Jesus. You're in the... No. I'm God in the flesh. I'm standing right in front of you. Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I mean, can you imagine this is... I mean, these Jewish boys, I mean, they're just... This is blowing their mind, man. 
That is sort of a mind-blowing thing, right? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And by the way, that's foreshadowing where he's taking all of us. It's the Father in us doing his work, no matter what you do. That's what you do. You, you, the Father works through you. No matter what your normal occupation is, the Father wants to live in you, work in you. He wants to work through you to do the things that you do in this life. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves, all these miracles you're seeing you know, all over the place, right? Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, whoa, and they will do even greater works than these, wow, because I am going to the Father. Whew. I think I'll read that one again. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Well, it seems like the only qualification there is believing, trusting. I think what happens with us with regard to believing and trusting, I'll probably say this five more times, but see, there's a beauty and joy of asking and receiving. It's a process. It's something we go through. Sometimes we ask and it happens immediately. Other times we ask and it's going to take a while. But either way, there's one ingredient that's necessary, and it's believing and trusting. And in that believing and trusting, you learn something about God, and you actually begin to hear His voice. He sort of exchanges that thing that you need for actually a relationship with the Most High God, to actually hear His voice, begin to know Him, and understand Him. Not just one day, not just at that point of need where you were, but every day, all the time. And I will, here's the thing, look at this. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And it's probably like, probably look at those disciples' faces, it probably looked like he slapped them or something, right? Then he says it again. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So who gets the glory out of answered prayer? The Father. So why wouldn't God want to answer your prayers? So when there's right relationship, right connection, not just in terms of summoning your confidence, but this confidence in the Lord Himself, this love for God, this walk from the Lord, guess who gets glorified? The Father gets glorified in the Son and what the Son accomplished at the cross by dying and shedding blood for us. What the Son bought as believers, bought us as believers, believers that do the works of God. It glorifies God when you do the works of God in the earth. So He's more for you than you could imagine because here we see it actually glorifies God, right? Wow, what a passage. Hebrews 11:6. There it gets a little deeper. Here we find out something very interesting about God. And it directly affects our prayer life. And without faith it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Oh, okay. Anyone who must come to him must believe that he gets that exists, that's first. And then the second thing is he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Seek him about what? All kinds of stuff. All kinds of stuff. I think this is a room full of people that are probably earnestly seeking God about something or other, right? So without faith, though, in the process, it's impossible to please God. So that's part of it. You may not see it right away. It may take a while. But without a faith journey, it's impossible to please God. That's one of the most dangerous passages you'll ever read in the Bible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So guess what? You get put in all kinds of situations where you get to exercise faith. I say get to exercise faith. Not have to, but it feels like have to more than it does get to sometimes. 
But get to is a very powerful thing. Because in it, you find some joy in the whole thing. You find some confidence. You kind of think, hmm, this is going to be okay. This is kind of fun. I wonder how God's going to solve my problem this time. I wonder how he's going to deal with it this way, right? Just Jesus takes every believer on faith-building journeys where we learn to pray, trust, and receive, just as he did with those first disciples. So he literally went on a journey with them. He was all over the promised land, all over Israel. You know, he traveled with them, step by step, place to place, and all along the way they learned something new. But I like that movie, the, uh, the series, The Chosen. And uh, I like especially the beginning of it when they're beginning to follow him and he multiplies the bread and he's doing all this and they're hanging out with him, right? It's sort of like that, you know. It's a, that, that's, I love the, those movies and that whole thing because it's just this picture of these disciples and how they're learning and how to grasp that the Son of God is in their midst. And that's what we do. We're always taking these journeys and trips. We always have these crises and these things that are happening, this opportunity here to go there and, and see this and do that, you know. And it's amazing how God changes the scenery in our life. We don't like the negative change, especially it freaks us out. But it's an opportunity again to see the provision of God, to try Him out one more time. And every time you go a go-around and you see God provide, you get a little stronger, a little stronger. And guess what you begin to do? You begin to believe for more and more and more. Could I just say to some of you, you're on a journey right now, and it's for more, not less. And one of the parts of the more is when you get on the other side of it, you're going to learn how to pray for even more miracles, even more intervention, not only for your own life, but for other people. So the Lord's equipping you. Sometimes I wish, Lord, could you just equip me a little less? Uh, just take a little break from all the equipping, right? <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, so the divine, this divine department, uh, partnership that forms is just a, an amazing thing. So we see this begin to develop in the disciples' lives. We look at Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 10. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. The Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself, a man under authority with soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he does, and that one, come, and he does. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. <laughs> when Jesus heard these words, he was amazed. When he heard this, he was amazed, and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. So he was giving them an example of what it looks like. A centurion, he wasn't even Jewish. I've not found this kind of faith in anyone. Wow. And Jesus remarked about it. He liked it. He thought it was so interesting. And the disciples were probably horrified because here's this Roman, this Gentile Jewish divide was so huge. And they're just telling this guy, giving him all the credit, and he's saying all this to him. And they're thinking, well, they weren't even certain that especially Romans were supposed to be in the kingdom, much less that they were, express, they were going to express greater faith than anybody that Jesus had ever seen. <laughs> he was always doing that to them. Roman numeral three on your outline. Jesus is the true vine. We become fruitful by embracing his words and commands. This is how we learn to be fruitful in the kingdom, right? Embracing these commands. So Jesus says in John 15, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes 
so that it will bear, be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, it gets a little tricky here because this whole remain in the vine is what he's after all along. He's after your fellowship. He's after your kinship. He is after this relationship with you. He really likes you, in other words. He likes you when you spend time with him. He likes to be with you. He likes you when you're going about life. He likes to partner with you, right? So you have to realize that about God. And the only way you can bear fruit is staying close. I am the vine. You're the branches. That's pretty close. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So when you're disconnected from the one that gives everything, you can do nothing. Sometimes we get disconnected that way. in sorrow and disappointment. We just turn the channel off. So I'm going to stop watching this Jesus stuff, right? Just turn it off, you know, for a while. We're so disappointed and discouraged. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown away into the fire and burned because you get your life from the vine. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, woo, this gets good, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So staying close with God has some dividends. He not only answers prayer, but he shows you what to ask. Or maybe I should say more precisely how to ask. Sometimes we ask, we think we want something, but we don't really know what we really want. We don't know what we really want. Until you go through that once or twice, and you go, whoa, I got an upgrade. I thought I wanted this, but actually I wanted that. And I got the upgrade just by hanging around. Could God be that good? Ah, He could be that good. And that's the problem with us. We don't think God's that great. Matter of fact, the enemy does his best through our unanswered prayers, through things that have gone wrong in our life, to paint a very different picture of God. So we barely survive coming into a place like this. We can barely touch God because we just think that he forgot us. And this thing that we wanted was so extremely important, right? But it turns out that that thing that's important to you is extremely important to God. That's why I call it the beauty and joy of asking and receiving. God likes to do this. He likes to be a part of this whole process. For Him, there's a beauty and a joy to the whole process and to the whole abiding thing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So we see in these answered prayers that actually brings God glory to get answers to prayer. And I could say from my experience, it's very interesting. I get trained in this all the time in different ways. So we're always thinking, okay, the thing he's really after is some really super spiritual stuff. Oh, not true. Not true at all. He's after all kinds of stuff. It's important to you. It's important to him. The only thing that I haven't been able to get him to really cooperate with me is my golf scores. Everything else is good. So I don't know about that one. I don't understand about that one still. <clears throat> Maybe he doesn't want me spending too much time right there. I'm not sure. but I'll be just like him, though. One day to make my golf scores go way down, right? Then after that I go, that's a miracle. That's a sign and a wonder. Huh, I'm not that interested anymore. I got that conquered. Let's move on. <laughs> Probably not wouldn't work out like that. But anyway. So our first command is to receive God's forgiveness, his cleansing by faith, right? That's the first command that we have to receive by faith. We have to actually ask for our salvation. And say, Lord, I did it. Lord, I've been apart from you. I haven't been interested in you. You're the king of the universe. You actually shed blood for me. And I haven't been interested. 
And you are there making me this offer. And we receive it by faith because as we're stepping out on this, we don't feel like we're very worthy at all. Matter of fact, most salvation begins with understanding that we're not so great. We're not doing so great. And we've been in a really wrong side of everything. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. So how do you get saved? Well, you don't say, you get saved by saying, I'm going to shape up here, shape up there. You ever notice how your New Year's resolutions sort of evaporate sometimes? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You know, there's more than that. There, you need faith. Well, this is not from yourselves. It's actually the gift of God, not by works that no one should boast. So once you become interested in God, He becomes interested in you. He begins to help you along. And all the while on your way to your salvation, He's growing your faith. He puts a person in your path. He puts a testimony over here, a scripture. He puts a circumstance that's almost impossible to get out of, and He delivers you. God has this way of gardening. He knows how to take care of His garden, and His garden is you. And we don't get saved by our works, by actually saying, okay, I'm good now, I'm saved. No, your works don't save you. It's faith, trusting this relationship you have with Jesus that saves you. And the works follow, but they're not what saves you. God knew it. He knew that we could never be good enough. So he made it so you just put your life in mind. You just say yes to me. Believe in me by faith. Trust in me. Ask me into your life and I'll do the rest. I'll help you. It's not going to be your own autopilot. No, we're going to have a relationship, and I'm going to be able to walk with you, and I'm just going to begin to help you to understand what you can pray for and what you can ask for and the kind of life you can really have, right? Because you don't know. You're so impressed with the world, but you have no idea what kind of life I have for you. You're going to learn all kinds of things about me. You're going to understand how much I love the poor, but I'm not that interested in you being poor. I want to prosper you. I want you to do well. Matter of fact, we have this saying in mission circles, and you know, if you've known me for a little while, you know I'm a missions nerd. You know, I, I you know, I just grew up that way in the Lord, and and my first mentor was an amazing missionary, missions guy. So I've been interested in the movement of God and the peoples through years. But the interesting thing I learned as I went to places like Fuller School of World Mission and and uh, uh, and Fuller Theological Seminary. Uh, it's the little concept called redemption and lift. So whenever there's a people in a part of the world that comes to Christ, a whole people group, you know, a, a group of people that didn't know before, uh, uh, God always seems to lift their economy at the same time as He lifts them. It's amazing. It's like clockwork. It's a term in missions, missiology, redemption and lift. When the gospel comes to these people, their finances are going to lift as well. Because God's interested. You know what happens? They start praying for that donkey over there, and he comes, right? <laughs> they learn to start praying for this over there, and that over there, and this business over there, and they find out, hey, I can ask for stuff. And they start asking for stuff, and they begin to prosper. And God gives them this and tells them to do that, and they begin to hear his voice. And they realize, well, I can't do that anymore. But a lot of the things that people do are not conducive financially. And if they are, they're kind of illegal, <laughs> can ultimately hang you. God's interested in prospering you the legal way in a way that won't be stolen and taken away, ripped off. Sometimes the devil entices people into prosperity so he can ruin their life because they begin to worship that idol. When they have a little bit and don't, don't have enough, you know, they start freaking out and panicking. I'll tell you what, whenever you work around a person who's not afraid of, of losing money or not afraid of financial, it's secure. You, you're around someone that 
has really begun to learn the essence of what it is to follow Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying I'm one of those. I'm still working on it. But it's so amazing to, re, uh, to uh, meet a person who's not worried about money, not so much from the vantage point of he has a bunch, but is not really caught up in that, not worried and just bumping along trusting God. It's very, very refreshing, I would say, probably to God and to other people as well, right? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and His word is not in us. So we're talking about embracing His words, right? And becoming a part of this vine and being the branches off of it, a fruitful vine. Well, I always start with this one thing. Uh, God, I'm messed up. I'm a, I've been a sinner. I'm a sinner by nature. Lord, I confess. And I did this, this, and this, and I've been this way. Please receive me. But the thing of it is, if you don't cross over into that place, and you never stop crossing over, by the way, because even after you become a Christian, you've got this new amazing insurance policy called Jesus, and you just need to use him because you're still going to make some mistakes. And learning to just say, I did it, is one of the most amazing uh, steps of faith you could take, especially with other people, and especially with other people that you need to apologize to. And by the way, I'll just say this prophetically, all of us are on a journey to say sorry to people that we hurt, wounded, people that we messed up, people that they messed us up, we messed this up. (laughs) Lots of times, it's a big mess. Both sides messed up, right? But I tell you, healing and deliverance and blessing comes over a person who begins to own up to what they did in a marriage or a relationship or whatever it is. They own their part, and then the other part, they don't make they don't make the other person own up their part. As a matter of fact, we're okay if the other party says okay, but often in divorces and other sticky relationships, the other party doesn't want to say they're sorry. They think it's all your fault. But if you own what you do, I'll tell you what, you're on the road to lots of things with Jesus and significantly. For all the things that the enemy has stolen from you and broken out of your life, restoration. If we claim we don't have sin, claim we're always pointing the finger, that's a sure sure sign. Uh, If you're always pointing the finger at someone else, someone that you just bitterly hate, uh, you haven't learned to be, that you have sin as well. You've forgotten where you came from, right? And by the way, as you get to know the Lord better, you realize, wow, I thought this and this was bad. But the more I learn about Jesus, I realize how far I've really been. I've been a long way. And nobody arrives. That's why we have this escape clause. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us for all unrighteousness. One of the greatest steps of maturity you can take in your walk with the Lord, with the Lord is be a good confessor. Just say, I did it. I did it, God. I did it. You may have to swallow a little pride, but actually, it's not that hard. <laughs> just say, I did it. And then where you really grow is when you own up to what you did to other people and say, I did it. Well, I tell you what, there's true freedom. And you'll find in that freedom an amazing access to God because your faith begins to grow and grow. God begins to help you. You begin to grow and grow, and you begin to ask for all kinds of other things. Matter of fact, how can two walk together unless they be agreement? That's Amos 3.3. So one of the things about prayer is God wants you to come into agreement about the way He sees things. And the Word of God is full of that. That's why we read the Bible so much. We read the Bible because it's full of things, right? Matter of fact, this Scripture is just so powerful. How can we walk together unless we be in agreement? So we need to be in agreement about just a couple of basic things, right? (laughs) I am God. You're not. (laughs) You violated my law over and over again. Okay, got that one. 
And here's something else. You need to agree with me about what I would really like for you to have because you cut me short all the time. You think that would be a big thing that you asked. But I'm bigger than you. I actually, I'd like to compete with you on blessing you. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And so sometimes when we think of that abundant life thing, you know, we kind of think, you know, in the back of our mind with a kind of a silly, like a Mona Lisa smile, yes, of course, I'll have plenty. But could he really give you what you really want and beyond what you want? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're a victim of that around here. We've been praying faithfully, lovingly. I mean, for me, I don't even think of uh, prayer as uh, faithfulness, you know, anymore. It's such a good deal. I mean, like, you know, yes, I'm, but I mean, walking with God is so outstanding. We're a victim of all that praying. I mean, all the things that have happened on all the ministries that are developing and growing. I just got this secret weapon. His name is Jesus. And then the second part is, he likes me to ask for junk. Well, I got plenty of it in the warehouse, man. I got all kinds of junk. Think about junk. Turns out junk's valuable. <laughs> and of course, we all like our favorite junk, right? Stuff that really <laughs> makes us great, right? I still haven't figured out how to, to ask for a lower golf score. I just haven't been able to get that victory in my life. There's probably a reason for that. Golf takes a lot of time. But anyway, every once in a while, God answers a prayer there too, right? I only say that. I'm kind of saying that tongue-in-cheek, but uh, I don't know. I, I just think that I've found God to be very, very personal about stuff. Matter of fact, some of the be- deepest things he ever taught me was things that I liked, you know, kind of like a little kid that likes this little thing, little toy or whatever, and you get it for him, and he just is joyful and happy. Sometimes God just gives us toys just because he loves us, right? And the most important thing that he gave us after that, everything should be downhill. It says in Ephesians 2, 8, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It's from gift of God. Even God helped you with your faith, not by works that no one should boast. For all God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what happens is we get saved, and then we our appetites change, and then we start praying for other things that we thought we would never pray for. And we start praying for things and people and situations and stuff. And these are the works that God prepared us to do. We see something, a need or whatever, and we pray for it, and then God gives it to that person. We're a part of the miracle, right? What an amazing thing. What a beauty and joy of asking, receiving, knowing that we can actually influence another person's life. We can pray for them and see something change in their life just because we asked. That's when things get pretty cool. I love this. I think we should pray to do beautiful deeds, you know? I think uh, beautiful deeds are one of my favorite categories. I think it should be yours, right? It was Jesus, right? I think. I think uh, you see this in Matthew 5, for example. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. I think he likes all this stuff that we do here. You, you can't hide your light. Bless people. Bless the weak. <laughs> That's so funny because in our area, when we first got here years ago, I couldn't really find very many needy people, or at least so I thought. I looked just a little bit beyond the surface and I began to find, oh my gosh, these people are in a lot of trouble. A lot of it came from broken marriages and things and households. And then now, year by year, everything's caught up. There's poverty and brokenness everywhere, every street, everywhere we go, down here, up there, wherever you want to go, right? So what did Jesus' answer to that? Well, here's his answer. Beautiful deeds. You, 
or the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl and say they put it on a stand and gives light to everyone in the house. And I'm not just talking about church, but in your own life, shine. What are you supposed to do for God? What's your job? And you spend the most time at your job, many of you, if you're still working, right? That's where your light should shine the brightest. That's where you're at. That's where you're at. So let it shine there. And believe me, when you shine, people notice it work because the world's desperate. They have crummy answers for most everything. One of the greatest gifts in an area of, uh, or I won't say gifts because it's, uh, it's not the Bible, but, but let me just say this. In an area that has so much financially, the breakdown of our marriages and families have actually brought more people to Christ than any other single thing. Well, there's plenty of money, and what happens is God finds another way to get your attention. And you start acting like your normal, sinful, rascally self. Pretty soon you're in the middle of a divorce. But my guess is if I were to ask over this crowd, if you're a little older, how many of you had a significant effect on your relationship with Jesus because you got in the middle of a divorce, I'll bet you half of you would raise your hand. Or maybe a sticky situation with a marriage, right? So this is an amazing thing. So I think that one of the things that we can do is we should be praying over this situation, the marriage situation in our area, and do beautiful deeds, help people to get back on the road. If they've had a divorce, that's why I love this divorce recovery and all the other things we do. I like it. It's the right thing to do. Get people on the saddle again. You're not discarded because you had a divorce. You're humbled. That's a good place. <laughs> God will build you up again. God will repair you. You didn't re commit an eternal sin. The only eternal sin is you, don't, you didn't believe in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. As long as you're there, you're good. You're a son and daughter. You're not halfway a son and a daughter. You're a full son and daughter. Able to be fruitful and do beautiful deeds. And one of the greatest beautiful deeds you can do in your life is after a divorce or a serious situation, shine for Jesus anyway. And help other people that get in these horrible situations. Shine. Let your light shine. Be a benefit to someone else. It's a beautiful thing. You know, guess what you can do? You can just ask for people. That's the way to start. You don't have to be a therapist. Just ask for God to heal their broken heart. Be there for them. Pray with them, Lord. The beauty and joy of asking and receiving. See the grandeur of them coming back into a place of wholeness and grace instead of being feeling like they're discarded or passed over. Jesus is so good at these beautiful deeds and loves them so much. I see him in our church all the time. I see him around me. I've learned to be quite a connoisseur of beautiful deeds because I get inspiration from them. It makes me want to be, do beautiful things, right? And sometimes I just see some of the most beautiful sacrificial acts. A friend bringing in another friend, a friend going to pray for someone, a friend giving a sum of money for a group of people he's never met before, you know. Um, oh, there's so many things to do. And look at this, Matthew 26, 6. Well, Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper. A woman came to him with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Right? Look what he does, though. He turns it around. He says, you know what? You guys don't have any idea what's going on here. Why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll always have with you, but you won't always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Here I am, 20 centuries later.
declaring this good thing that this woman did. That's how much God likes this sort of activity. We embrace his commands and words, but that sounds so like gray. It's actually many colored and beautiful to do wonderful things, obey his commands. One of our greatest commands that we can do is help a person in pain, help a person that's not doing very well, help a person that's sick, help a person that's homeless, whatever it is. And it's beautiful. It's not just something we do and command. It's beautiful. Jesus' commands are beautiful and wondrous, right? And we also get to do this. We get to pray into the great purposes and designs God has for the whole earth. Oh, God has a design for the whole earth. And I spent a fair amount of my time and my life in this pursuit of God's purposes in the whole earth. And here's one of them, Matthew 24:14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world, and then the end comes. <laughs> well, then if that's the case, you probably want to ask, well, how's the gospel doing out there in the world? <laughs> right? Spectacularly. And some of you have put major fuel in the fire because actually they don't need our leadership so much anymore. Holy Spirit's doing a good job. They just need our money at times to help them get over obstacles. The laborers work as wages. So when you have 31,000 churches in India, how have you know that that could double overnight in a land that never has had churches? This gospel of the kingdom would preach in the whole world. We passed the Muslims not long ago. Did you know that for a long time there were more Muslims in the world than Christians? It passed. It's, uh, uh, that, that changed about a decade ago, a little bit more than a decade ago. And now it's out of control. Christians on every continent, every place. And we're fueling the fire by just giving of our person coming or giving financially, right? It's a beautiful thing, this gospel of the kingdom being preached in the whole world, and then the end comes. I like Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 1 to 3. While Jeremiah was still confined in the courtyard of the Lord, the word of the Lord came to him a second time. Now, he's been doing God's will. Have you ever done God's will? And you end up in jail. What I mean by that is some confined situation, some nasty place that you didn't want to be. You're doing God's will, you're being faithful and faithful, and you end up like Jeremiah in jail. He's just telling them, warning them, don't do this, don't do this. They're coming, they're coming. If you don't repent, you guys are in big trouble. And for all his efforts and for all his warning, he gets thrown in jail. Wow. So the Lord comes to him while he's there. And the word of the Lord will come to you, too, while you're there. You're not alone. If you suffer for righteousness' sake, or you made a decision that caused you pain, rejoice, be glad. I know it's painful, but you're on the right side of this thing. Here's the one that said it. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. He didn't come that you'd be totally alone and desperate and penniless. You know what? The beauty and joy of asking and receiving is you get to move out of those places. And you get to take a journey with God. And it's really important. Not just ask once, but take this journey with God. Find out. Because sometimes we start putting our head on one thing. Want this much salary. Want this and that. Or that job or that opportunity. But we realize we get closer to it. That's not what I wanted. And it gives you... Hey, I see what you're praying for. Why don't we just do this? <laughs> Little change. Ooh, that's a lot better. Ooh, that's going to turn out. Ooh, I like that. I like that. I like that. Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> right? Could God be that good? 
you have to believe that a God that died for you, shed blood for you in the most hideous way, would actually be that good. The beauty and joy of asking and receiving comes directly from believing that God's that good and beautiful. Right? So he's in the jail cell there, probably not too happy. This is what the Lord says, he who made the earth. <laughs> he's in jail, he thinks it's impossible to get out of this mess, right? So, well, you know, I'm the one that made the earth. Just thought I would remind you of that. The Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name, called to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. So it's amazing. He not only takes your situation, but he tells you a little about that situation. I've called, I think God's the God of more, not less. And so I pray for little scraps here or scraps there, but I found out that I came that they might have a life and have it abundantly is a little better than I thought. Oh, when you begin to discover how beautiful and wonderful God is, a beauty and a joy comes to your asking, and I might add, of course, to your receiving, beyond anything you ever could have imagined. Experiencing God's love, this is Roman numeral four in your outline there, releases a freedom to know the master's business and to make requests as his friends. John 15, 5 to 17. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Ooh, that seems a little threatening. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, when I first, learned, first started looking at that passage, I, I you know, it's sort of like a big sandwich. I try to eat that sandwich from all different sides, you know. I'm trying to figure out, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And what happened through the years is I realized this is not a big, this is not that hard to get my mouth around. So we just have to settle a couple of things. First of all, God's good and he wants to take care of me, and he wants the best for me. That's why he said, ask whatever you wish. But not everything I ask is the best for me. But he's actually, surprisingly, as you begin to grow with God, he actually gets, surprisingly, you, you get more on target for what he wants for you. But the other thing is, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. God actually has some things in mind that he'd like you to ask, right? And here's another part, maybe the most important part of the whole thing, is when you begin to ask, God says, yes, but we're going to take a little trip now. <laughs> so he takes you on this journey, and you go down this journey pursuing this thing, right? And that's why sometimes you have this really desire for something, right? He puts it in there, and then he ambushes you. Because, okay, here's how you're going to get it. You're going to keep on asking, or keep on knocking, or you're going to keep on seeking. And then I'm going to take you on this little trip as you knock. And then you're going to find out, oh, I like that, but I think I kind of like that better. Okay, well, let's just do that then. <laughs> you go a little further. Oh, that really wasn't that good for me at all. I don't think I probably even want that anymore. Okay, well, what was in your heart? Let's talk about that. Well, I think what was in my heart is I, I want this. Oh, good job. Let's go there. <laughs> That's... What God does, he's so tricky. It's just that a lot of us don't go enough of journeys to actually realize or trust him what he's doing. And also he's got this nasty habit of not revealing everything step by step. 
No, he'll be pursuing this, pursuing this, praying for it, praying for it. And then he'll just, hmm, I think we'll make this little change to your prayer. How about that? Uh, I, I kind of, no, just, just trust me on this one. Okay. So we go down that, oh, yeah, this is better. Okay, okay. And sometimes we go, oh, I really didn't want that at all, did I? Nope, you didn't want that. But this is what was in your heart. Let's go on this journey for that. That's what you really wanted. All right. So if you do this enough, you begin to realize it works. But it's a joy. It's actually a prayer joy. The beauty and joy of asking is you go on all these trips with God. Right? And you learn. You learn. Just like those disciples learned. They learned what he likes, what he doesn't like, what's efficient, what's good, what's not. Right? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So he likes this. He likes this remaining in him and his words remaining in you. He likes this asking, and it actually glorifies God. Now one thing I could just say right off the bat in terms of discerning things that God likes, you actually can find a whole list of them in the Bible itself, right? So if you want to know the Master's business, read the Bible through and through, and you'll figure it out. That helps you a lot. It's like you get the manual. Well, a lot of guys don't like the manual, so they forget the manual. I think they can do it themselves. That's the way. Now, women are a little better with the manual. But a lot of guys don't do the manual. But sometimes people in their life, they don't do the manual. If you read the manual, I read the manual. You know why I read the manual? Because I want to find out everything that God likes. <laughs> Every promise He has for me. Because if it's His promise, I'll stand on that promise. And if He likes this kind of activity, I'll do that kind of stuff, right? Right? Like, for example, give and... It shall be given to you. So he likes giving. What does he say about that? Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, pouring over. So evidently he's not stingy. Really? Well, I found him to be stingy. Well, like, how about that giving part and like that walking and prayer part and that listening part and actually having a real relationship with God, actually enjoying God instead of putting up with him or freaking out every time, you know? trying to figure out, wow, I don't know why that happened, or crying over spilled milk because this happened, he never quite got over it. Stop. Stop. God's either good or he's not. He's either abundant or he's not. So let's stop crying over spilled you know, uh, milk, and let's just graduate into new realities. Yes, there are some problems that are pesky and they're in our face. And we don't know how to get rid of them, but that's part of the joy of it. It's part of our journey. And some things we just don't never understand until we get to heaven. And that's okay too. Fact is, Jesus Christ came in the form of flesh. He shed blood on that cross, suffered a hideous death, was mocked and ridiculed as the Son of God, and proved He was God by rising from the dead. He was a man, the Bible says, acquainted with sorrows. He wasn't in a plastic bubble. He understood. He was rejected by His family. He was rejected by everyone around Him. People committed blasphemy against him, made him feel small. He hung out with the poor. He slept in the open fields. Sometimes he didn't have enough food, so he had to multiply food. <laughs> he understood what it was to suffer. It was a manner, man of sorrows acquainted with grief. That's why it's sort of important to understand where God's coming from in the Bible, right? Now, one thing I learned in the Bible, and I learned it uh, as I came into the Vineyard Movement, and this is some of the best stuff of all. And it's right at the bottom of your outline. I want to read this. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can do only what He sees His Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. I probably quote this every other week, but 
There's this word there. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. Yes, He'll show Him even greater works than these, so that you'll be amazed. So the Father loves the Son. So when I sense the love of God, I, I know what to do. And it doesn't mean that I need to know every detail. It's just that I become aware, right? And so this passage is so important. He sees only what he sees the Father's doing, but the Father loves the Son, shows him what he does. So I found as part of my understanding of what God wants me to do, that when I feel this embrace by God, I often know what it's for. Sometimes it's just for me, just because I need it. But other times it's this love and compassion for someone else or something else. An idea, a thought, something that would be wonderful. Sometimes I'll look at a person's face and this love will come over me for that person. And I'll know, hey, I think I'm supposed to do something with this person. Right? I think that's the difference actually between dealing with the poor and as a church and dealing with the poor maybe as an institution. Right? Because when the church gets all, when you as the church get compassion for something or someone, it's like there's unlimited grace. You just can't stop giving. Some of you know about that from maybe a divorce that you went through. And then you look around and you meet someone, maybe it's been a few years, and you look at someone that's going through the very same thing. Oh, the grace that's in your heart for them. Right? That love that comes for them, that compassion. And learning to take our sorrows like that and turn them into joy for somebody else is amazing. And if you look at John 5, 19 and 20, for the Father loves the Son. It's an interesting word. It's a word called phileo, which is natural affection. It's like if I walk over and hug my wife back there. That's, that's phileo love. That's I'm demonstrating my affection. So the Father gives the Son affection, right, and shows Him what He's doing. So it's part of the way that you see the world. So I'm learning to walk this way more and more. I always know that when I see someone in the marketplace, see someone in the warehouse, see someone, you know, at a ball game, see someone in here, and my heart goes out to them. I know, uh-oh, I'm on. <laughs> I got to go. Sometimes I've been compassionate for a person. I'm thinking, God, I don't want to be compassionate for them. And I'm literally, like, we're going back and forth. I don't, oh, why am I feeling, okay, okay. I don't get it, but okay. And then when you see them with love's eyes, though, you don't mind so much. The resistance is lower, right? I'm just learning to live that way more and more. Actually, if you could say, how do I walk in the Spirit? I just follow the compassion around. Well, if you don't have much love in your life from the way the love's loving you, you'll be low supply. But when you spend time with the Lord and worship and prayer, and you spend time with God's people, that cup gets filled. And when it gets killed, it's not so hard to love another person. It's just that we need to love too, right? For the Father loves the Son. So Jesus is full of love. So he's walking around full of God, feeling his Father on him, looking around and seeing, okay, that's the next thing that needs to be done. That's the next thing that needs to be done. And I just say for those of you that work with the poor a lot, oh, do you need this? See, it's the difference is when that supply comes, you, you're going to do, you're going to work with that person, you're going to do whatever it takes, and you're not going to grumble or complain, and you're going to invest in them, right? So we need that supply as a group, as a body, as a people. That's why we should be the best at handling the homeless. We should be the best at handling the mentally ill. Because God gives, or a, a son or a daughter that's not doing well, or, ch you know, children, or little kids or whatever, we get these compassion in our heart. And, and you know, I, I tell you, maybe I could just say it this way. I don't know if you watch, you know, oh, I watch Fox News a lot. I just got to say, I, got, I do that a lot. So I'm watching, but they have the same commercials on all the time. You notice that? 
all the time. But the ones where that like that Shriners Hospital comes on and little kids are there and they don't have a leg or something, they're or that one of the the veterans. What's that called? The the veterans thing where they build houses for the tunnel for towers. I look at those stories and I can barely watch it sometimes. I look at that and I think, what a beautiful thing. So when you get beautiful things in your mind or heart about the world around you, that's when you just you. You don't have to do it. You get to do it. And I think that's where the, that's what this means. Jesus didn't have to do it. For the Father loves the Son. He, he'd feel this compassion and He'd just go do it. And shows Him what He's doing, right? Along the way. Sometimes with regard to evangelism, that's all you need to know. I always thought that evangelists, like great evangelists, were always these people that knew exactly what they had. You know, they got memorized all the scriptures and everything. They had it right there, you know. And they just, just knew so much of the scripture and they could go out and equip. You know what? The best evangelist, I'll guarantee in this church, are one that just show compassion for someone that's not doing well. You have that, you'll know what to say. Yeah. Compassion makes the best evangelist. You know, just when the Lord does it, if you just open your heart to just being nice to somebody, you don't have to lead them through all the four spiritual laws and the theological this and that. You know what? Compassion goes so much farther than that. They'll learn the other stuff. They can hang out here or wherever. You know, they can get that teaching. You can show them the Bible themselves. God will start teaching them. But compassion is what's in short supply, but not just any compassion. The Father loves the Son. You, Son, you, Daughter. He brings it. He supplies it. You just got to recognize when He brings it. And then look around. I always know when I feel compassion for something, even if it's on TV, I start praying immediately. When I feel it, I know I'm on. Uh-oh, I'm on. Oh, and so when you start volunteering every time you feel compassion, you're going to feel more. So God goes, okay, I got you. <laughs> I got you. Okay, so that's the first part. That's why we're good at this. And the second part is that God listens to our prayers. So the poverty and the brokenness and the horrible drug-related cases and the stuff we see around here. But see, the thing is, you have compassion. You can also hear God's voice. And he says, hey, why don't you try this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you pay for this? And you get direction. And so you also can love a person and go, no, that's not good for you. We're not going to do that. We can't do that. It also has discipline around it. But you're secure in the discipline. You're secure to say no, and you're secure to say yes. And you do it from the integrity of your heart. And that, my friends, is how we solve the homeless crisis. It's good that the world wants to pay for so much, especially out of your tax dollars. <laughs> it's okay. I'm okay with that. As long as somebody there is handling this and doing a good job with it, right? Ah. Put those two together, and I think we got dynamite, right? So I think that puts the church in a very interesting place, churches and God's people, wherever you are, right? And I just want to finish with this, Luke chapter 11, verses 9 to 13. Why don't we all stand? Oh, this is good. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. What's he saying that in response to? He's talking about a friend who needs something at midnight and is knocking on the door. He says, I won't, I won't even though I won't give it because of my friendship, but because of this shameless audacity, I'll give you what, as much as you need, right? So he's knocking, knocking, knocking. And God's given this invitation. Oh, why don't you knock like that on what you need? Why don't you knock on the door like that? 
I'm your friend. Why don't you knock on my door? We'll get to fathers and mothers here in a minute. So I say to you, ask and it'll be given to you. And the tense, by the way, the verb is keep on asking and it'll be given to you. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Now as you're asking, knocking, and seeking, what you'll find, I, I love this term and I, I think of it often, you just go on these faith journeys. You're asking and seeking and the Lord takes you here and he takes you over there and takes you over there. You just go on this little trip. You asked, you thought that's what you wanted, but you didn't really want that. You wanted this, right? You weren't really after that. You were after this. And then God helps you sort that out, and you just go on this little trip, right, with God, all the while feeling the pleasure of the Father because you're pursuing something you know He likes, right? For everyone who asks receives. Whoa. Everyone? Yeah, everyone that asks in faith receives. Now, how do you receive? Well, it's interesting because God helps you receive in the way that you want it, actually, ultimately. Not just that he wants it, right? But you and him kind of come to agree because you realize you really wanted that over there. And he's better at answering prayer and giving, oh, if you could just get one paradigm in our heart. God's generous. He's generous. He's not Scrooge. He's not skimpy. He's generous. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who knocks, finds. I'm sorry, the one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers of your son asks for a fish will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you, though, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Why does he say the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I just wanted some food. I just wanted a house. I just wanted a car. The Holy Spirit. He says, I'll give myself to him. I'm the bread of life. I can snap this and this happens. I do that and that happens. I'm so smart, I can go beyond even what you think you need and I'll give you what you really need. And I'll give you something better, not worse. He's the better, not worse God. He's the more, not less God, right? So Lord, as we're here today, I just declare the beauty and joy of asking and receiving in this place. I pray even today in this place, right now in this house, no matter what people have gone through, I'm asking you to answer their prayers, even today, as they come boldly to a throne of grace. Now one thing that we found out with regard to this asking is that Jesus said something like this, if two of you agree in prayer about anything, I'll do it. So this corporate part of it is also very, very powerful. So sometimes just getting a person to agree with you, a husband, a wife, or like we have, that's why we have ministry team members all the time. You ministry team can come up because you have prayer assignments today. Some people are going to come up to you and ask for things. And you agree in prayer. If two of you agree about anything, I'll be doing it. So that's another point of grace. It's another part of the throne room. So when you agree with somebody in prayer, they don't have to be your best friend. They can just say, oh, I have compassion. Sometimes you'll come up to a person and it'll be a person that's actually been through the same thing you've been through. Part of the joy of answered prayer is hearing from people who've been through the same thing you've been. That's why they volunteer. Someone else prayed for them on a Sunday morning or a Monday night or a Wednesday or whenever and the thing came true and they got provision. So one thing that's required for all of this that we've been talking about today. And it's just simple faith. You just step out of your comfort zone. 
say, God, have mercy on me. That's why we do this. It's, we have people up here to help. But I'd just like to do and ask you to just, whether you talk to someone or pray for someone up here, or whether you just are there by yourself up in the front, the reason why we like people to come to the front is we don't want to make a show of anybody. It's just that without faith it's impossible to please God. And sometimes it just helps to go, you know, that last Sunday morning I went up there and I just stood there and I just asked you for things, God. And it solidifies what you ask so that you can ask again and again because often when you're asking for things, like I said to you before, you're on the beginning of a journey. And sometimes to get on this journey, you just need a little push to keep on walking. And that's what our prayer does in the sanctuary. We've found it works. First of all, just by coming, you're asking in faith. You're stepping out of yourself, right? You don't have to do that. You could just do it from where you are. But at the least, I'd encourage you to just pause for a moment, review your life while we're doing worship. And before you go, just ask God for stuff. And I highly recommend you would like to come and receive prayer from someone else or just maybe just come and stand at the front. You don't have to receive prayer from someone else. Just come up to the front right now, wherever you are. I don't suppose anybody in here needs anything. (laughs) That was a joke. (laughs) I know you. I know me. But I especially know about people. Right here, right now, in this little space, maybe the answer, just waiting for you, just because you humbled yourself to ask. Or God puts you on a journey where it's been dark, He lightens it to show you where to go. So come, I just invite all of you. While we're worshiping here, you can do it from your seat. Come up here to the front, stand in the corner, wherever you like, but address the living God before you go, okay? In this house of prayer. Lord, I pray you'd hear every request, answer everything that's being said. Lord, I pray, God, that have mercy on us today. In your mighty name, amen.
so much for joining us here today. It was so great to have you with us. If you have any questions about our church or if you need prayer in any way, please visit our website at vineyardln.com. See you next time.